is Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Friday, July 21st, 2023. My name is Taylor Schwink. I am the producer of the Baseball Tonight podcast. I am recording from the foothills of Connecticut. Buster Olney is in an airport right now rushing from concourse to concourse to uh, to catch a flight. Don't worry, you're not stuck with me for the whole episode. Buster will be with us shortly. He's going to talk to David Schoenfield, Sarah Langs, Todd Radom's going to join us with the quiz and the Forgotten Field. It's going to be a great show, a packed show. So we'll get to Buster shortly as he uh, shoves his his headphones into his ears and and wipes the sweat from his brow as he he's really moving and grooving. Hopefully, he has a uh, you know a little time to stop at Aubon Palm to uh, to grab a coffee. But if that's not the case, at least hopefully we'll get a good podcast out of it. So let's start with news and notes. I was digging through the box scores and I've decided to declare yesterday as stave off your sweep Thursday, a bunch of teams averting a sweep. Let's highlight them. The Mariners, they stave off a sweep. George Kirby roasts the twins, the tune of 10 strikeouts. And it's Mike Ford who comes through late to finish off Minnesota. The 1-1 pitch. Swing hammered high, back, back, and gone way out of here, off the windows in right field. A shattering home run, Mike Ford. And you can breathe a little bit. The Mariners open it up with a mammoth two-run blast to right. Now the Twins, they're heading back home after hitting the West Coast. They went 5-2 and two on that West Coast road trip. Seattle may have staved off the sweep, but they couldn't stave off the bad news with Jared Kelnick. He broke his foot after hitting, kicking a water cooler uh, during Wednesday night's loss. Tough look for Jared. Here is an emotional Kelnick before Thursday's game. Let the emotions get the best of me there. Scott Service says Kelnick will be out for an extended period, but did not estimate a time frame. The team doesn't believe surgery will be needed. I'm positive that Buster is going to talk to noted Mariners fan David Schoenfield about this. And maybe if Seattle can make some moves to try and replace Kelnick uh, as it you know, doesn't look good uh, as far as his return to the team for the rest of the year. Padres take two of three on the road against the Blue Jays. Yesterday, the Blue Jays stave off a sweep with help from the home run derby champion. 0-1. On a line out to right field. Hit pretty well to the bullpen and gone! There's the strike the Blue Jays have been waiting days on. Vladimir Guerrero Jr., with the first extra base hit of this series for the Blue Jays, and the Blue Jays have a 2-0 lead. Final score, 4-0 Blue Jays. Nice showing from the Padres, though, on the road, but they are a long way back from the playoff pack, 6.5 from the final wild card, 10 back from the NL West top spot. Oof, it's, it's rough out there for the Padres. 
Braves, Diamondbacks. This series was a lot of fun. I would love to see these teams play in October. The Braves stave off the sweep with Austin Riley putting Atlanta ahead in the bottom of the eighth. Bat in the hands of Austin Riley. And a 1-2 pitch. And he barrels one high in the air. Deep left center field. Austin Riley on a rampage. With a bat of flames, he has given the Braves the lead here in the eighth inning. Braves weren't done. Matt Olson quietly, very quietly, one of the best players in baseball this year. He made it 7-5 with his second home run of the game. 2-2 from Nelson. That's launched high in the air. Way up in the air to deep right field. Back to the wall and watching it sail out of here, Jake McCarthy. There's a little bit of insurance. Back-to-back home runs by Riley and Olson. And for Matt, one of the highest homers he's ever hit at his 32nd homer of the year. Impressive series from the Diamondbacks as they keep pace in a very competitive and exciting NL West race. White Sox and Mets, Jose Quintana. He signed for the Mets free agency, but broke a rib during spring training. I'd forgotten all about that, but here he is. He debuted on Thursday. He was having a decent outing until Yasmani Grandal stepped up to the plate. Top of the sixth, bases loaded. The stretch and the 0-2, and there's a well-hit liner out into deep right center, and it's over McNeil's head. Roberts scores. Here comes Eloy. Grandal to second. He's got a double. That throw actually got past Lindor. It's 4-1. to one. White Sox win 6-2. to two. They stave off a sweep by the Mets. And despite taking two of three, the Mets are wounded. The Mets placed outfielder Starling Marte on the 10-day injured list Thursday because of migraines. The Mets also lost left fielder Tommy Pham, who exited Thursday's game after suffering a right groin injury while grounding into a double play and ending the third inning. Oof. The Mets travel to Boston this weekend where they'll face the Red Sox, and you'll see both of those teams on Sunday Night Baseball. Speaking of the Red Sox, I really enjoyed the A's stopping their run of losses with a series win against the Red Sox. Oakland struck first last night against the Astros. Start of a four-game set for those two teams, but Kyle Tucker struck back at the top of the sixth. And Tucker sends one into left center field. That'll be down into the wall. In to score, Dubon. Here comes Pena. He'll score as well. Astros get their first lead of the night on a two-RBI double with two outs by Kyle Tucker. Noted A's nightmare Alex Bregman gave the Astros some breathing room in the top of the ninth. 3-2 to Bregman. And Alex hits it in the air to left, going back on it, Kemp. Still going back at the wall, looking up. See you later! Alex Bregman gives the Astros some insurance with a solo homer to make it 3-1. to one. Astros win 3-1. to one. The Brewers are looking strong. They take 2-3 from the Phillies. Last night against the Phillies, Corbin Burns allows 2-8 in innings, struck out 10, and Christian Yelich did this. The first pitch. High fly ball deep to right field. Castellanos going back onto the track. He'll watch this one go way up and gone. Three-run home run. Christian Yelich into the seats in right. Third home run of the road trip for Yelich. And boy, was that a big early swing for Corbin Burns and the Brewers. Elsewhere in the NL Central, the Reds, fresh off a home-and-away battering from the Brewers. We didn't really mention too much of that, but it seems they have uh, stopped the bleeding against the Giants. They split the series yesterday with Andrew Abbott and Derek Law combining for two-hit baseball against the Giants. The 1-1 pitch. 
Swinging, it's a weak bouncer by the mound. De La Cruz in to field it, throws on the run, flips it to steer in time. Eight shutout innings in the books for Andrew Abbott this afternoon. Reds lead at five to nothing as they come to the plate in the bottom of the eighth. Cincinnati wins five to one. And finally, you already know what it is. Rays Orioles top of the AL East in the balance as these teams start a four game set in Tampa. Oh, my God. I was juiced for this one. Still juiced for this series. I'm riding high this morning. This was the game of the day, and boy, did it deliver. Tampa struck first, going up 1-0 in the second inning, but the Orioles surged in the fourth, starting with this awesome play from Gunnar Henderson. And a ground ball. That's going to be off the glove of Walls toward the line. The pickup by Rosarena. Henderson's going to wind up going to second and out of third. And he is going to be in there. Well, catching the Rays, napping right there. And Henderson winds up going to third. Nobody's thinking that he's going to do anything past second. But he just doesn't stop. He reads the play and realizes the Rays really aren't paying attention like they should. And he's able to get over there to third base. Now, with Gunner at third, Dadley Rutschman came to the plate and put the birds on the board. And then Adley Rutschman knocks one over to Jordan infield. And just like that, the Orioles tie it. Base runner list the first time through the order. Henderson and Rutschman reach. Anthony Santander gets on base. Ryan O'Hearn. O'Hearn, 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 O'Hearn. Gets Adley across the plate to make it 2-1. And then with Santander on second, Aaron Hicks came to the plate. First pitch swinging. Aaron Hicks left side. Base hit. Santander is on the move. He gets the wave around. A Rosarena with the throw home. The play at the plate. The ball is out and he's safe. Santander is safe. Aaron Hicks is at second, and the Orioles add another one, a 3-1 lead. Kyle Gibson pitched really well for the Orioles. He eventually makes way for Yenier Cano in the bottom of the seventh. The Rays tied the ball game. Ugh, rough one from the All-Star Cano. Uh, but he he kept it there. The score would remain tied into the 10th inning when young Colton Kowser came to bat with Aaron Hicks on third, one out. 0-2 to Kowser, swung on, skied ball, left center field. A Rosarena and Siri ranging out in some miscommunication. A Rosarena makes the catch, though. Hicks will come home. It's a sacrifice fly. Colton Kowser gives the Orioles a 4-3 lead in the 10th. Brandon Hyde sticks with his guy, the Mountain, Felix Batista. He held the Rays in the ninth, and he'd do it again in the bottom of the 10th. Lau a walk and hit by pitch. Bautista fires. Lau on the ground. Frazier throws to Gunner. Gunner to first, and they get a double play. The Orioles pull a double play, and Felix Bautista wraps it up. Two innings of work. It's a double play for the Orioles. They own first place in the American League East for the first time all season. It does not belong to the Rays. There it is. The Orioles take Game one of a four-game set in the Trop, four to three in ten. I checked with ESPN stats and information. Baltimore started the day in first place for the first time after the All-Star break since August 15th, 2016. The Orioles were six and a half games back at the beginning of July. Birds got a one-game lead. Ain't De Beer Cole Hahn. That's my terrible Baltimore accent. Hope you enjoyed it. Here's Brandon Hyde talking about Felix Batista after the game. How about Felix Batista? Um, I'm so lucky to have him. He's just uh, 
the reason why he can pitch the tenth is because he has such an efficient ninth. You know, he throws under ten pitches the ninth inning after pitching yesterday, getting the save yesterday, goes out, has an easy ninth inning against the top of their order, and then allows us to, you know, if we score there, he, he's going to go back out. But he just, he's amazing, and, uh, and he does it again. And yeah, I'm at the helm, so here's some more Brandon Hyde. Be able to scrap three runs against Glass now, who is really good. Great stuff. Um, and Kyle Gibson matching him every step of the way, and Kyle leaving with the 3-1 lead. Uh, Gibby gave us a huge start. Funny, I don't know who put this uh, this open together, but uh, we're going to go from an Orioles win to more bad news for the Yankees after getting swept by the Angels. New York transfers Josh Donaldson to the 60-day IL with an injured calf. The Yankees, they just can't catch a break. We are closing on the trade deadline. Should they do a soft sell-off? Possibly something that Buster will discuss with David Schoenfield. One last piece of information to run past all of y'all. The Athletics put Ryan Noda on the 10-day IL with a broken jaw. He was injured during pregame warm-ups Tuesday when he took a grounder to the mouth. That's tough. He could be out about three weeks, according to an MLB.com report. In terms of things to promote, there's a new episode of SV Pod out there. Scott Van Pelt, Stanford Steve, and Gordo, David Gordon from uh, ESPN Stats and Information, noted golf handicapper. Uh, he went on to talk about the British Open, and Scott explains why the Open Championship is his favorite major. Pretty good stuff. Check it out. SV Pod, wherever you're listening to this podcast. Now, let's turn it over to Buster and David Schoenfield. We're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash buster. Just go to indeed.com slash buster right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash buster. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Dogs are an important part of our lives and keeping them protected is a top priority especially against nasty parasites. That's why you gotta check out NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NexGuard Plus chews provide one and done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NexGuard Plus Chews. They're the one and done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. 
dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the show, mate. Welcome to the show. Whoa! Welcome to the show, baby. You're in the show with David Schoenfield. David Schoenfield covers baseball for ESPN. Uh, Dave, you're going to have to bear with me today because I'm I'm flying blind here a little bit. I'm <laughs> at the airport in Minneapolis. We have a baggage claim Friday, and Taylor has done the top of the show, and I'm not sure if it's going to be a total success or a complete disaster. You want to weigh in a little bit? I have faith. I mean, the Orioles won a big game last night, so he couldn't have screwed that up too badly. Well, yes and no. But one thing to remember is he probably hasn't slept, you know, knowing Taylor. They, they won, because they beat, won that first game of the series, he didn't sleep. He was celebrating all night. So I don't know what kind of condition he's in this morning. Taylor, you want to weigh in here? Buster, you're definitely right. I definitely stayed up way too late. Uh, actually, Sarah Abbott has the day off today. I'm going to blame her because her and her roommate came over. They forced me to have drinks with them, me and my wife. So <laughs> I'm having drinks. Then it's midnight. They're leaving. I'm like, I have not written a single thing for the Open. I'm watching the condensed game from earlier that I already watched. Uh, it, it was it was a fun night, but you're right. My email, I think, went through at like 2.30 in the morning. Oh. So, Oh, my God. Well, I'm not going to stress you out more. Dave, I'll let you give the objective analysis of where the Orioles are right now. Well, let's put it this way. I'm dumping the Mariners, my childhood team, and I'm jumping on the Orioles bandwagon. Buster, wow. Well, wait, 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 wait. Before you claim that, Taylor, you're going to let him on? Of course. I love Dave. Everyone, everyone, the bandwagon is open, Buster. I'm not a gatekeeper. There's probably other Orioles fans who wouldn't let you on, but you can drive this bus if you That's want. That's true. I, I've seen social media. I've been told that I'm not get allowed, you know, been invited to the parade. Uh, <laughs> but t- tell me what you're seeing the Orioles right now, Dave. Well, they just look, they don't have this great, you know, stellar rotation. We all know that. They'll probably add to that. But everything else they do, they do very well. Late game bullpen. They score runs. They steal some bases. They play defense. Defense was the key last night. Ramon Urias making a crucial diving play when the game was tied in the eighth inning to prevent Tampa from uh, the scoring the go-ahead run. Then they won in the 10th. They just they're, they just well execute. And for a young team, you know, they, they're they very fundamentally sound. Plus, they got young stars, Adley Rushman and Gunnar Henderson. Why could we not love this team? Yeah. How about Gunnar Henderson's play, right? We're taking advantage of Randy Rosarena, kind of falling asleep in the outfield, lobbing the ball to the infield. You just love that. Like, yeah. That, that's, that feels like, like I said, heads up. Series. Yep. Yeah. No doubt about it. And, you know, we when the Orioles were good under Buck Showalter, they were a three true outcomes team, right? All they did was hit home runs. This team is much more versatile, much more entertaining. All right, so that's going to lead us into a let's go rapid fire, buy or sell. I'm going to give you the name of the team. Tell me what your thoughts are about you know what the team, whether the team should buy and what they should buy. We'll start with the Orioles. We've already made a deal. Taylor, you can give us the details of that trade. All right, so the, the Orioles, they get Shintaro Fujinami, I hope I pronounce his name correctly, and uh, they traded yep. him for a you know, AAA prospect, really not even a top 30 guy. So Michael I is just robbing people blind here. Uh, he, he, <laughs> he throws really, really hard. He didn't have a great start to the year, but in his last 18 and a third innings pitch, he's got only 15 hits, six walks, 19 strikeouts, a 2.45 ERA. 
I'll take it. I'll take another hard-throwing guy into the bullpen. They work things out with Yenny Eric Cano, so no reason to not be optimistic about this trade right now. Yeah. Dave, you hear that? Like The excitement level of Taylor at this point, because not only did he give us the trade, he also gave us the stats. He gave us the, where the guy was born, where he went to high school. And friends, with, friends with uh, Shohei Otani. High school friends with Shohei, by the way. <laughs> and I, I, I thought this was a good trade. I mean, we'll see if it's an impactful trade, but I love the lottery ticket. Because he throws hard, and we've seen in baseball this time of year, get a guy who throws hard. What else do you see the Orioles doing? Yeah, I, no, look, we we all know they're loaded in the minors and the upper minors with with position player prospects. Um, and I know people are dreaming of a Shohei Otani trade. That's not the way the Orioles are going to operate. That's no. not the way Mike Elias and when he was with Houston, if they traded for a pitcher, it was somebody with years additional years of team controls. They're not going to pay big bucks for a rental, but I think they'll look to add a starter. Maybe it's a back-end guy. Maybe they can, Marcus Stroman is a rental, you know, but he won't cost anywhere near what Otani would cost. So I'd love to see them add a starting pitcher. Yeah, hundred percent. I'm with you with Otani. I've had that conversation. Uh, I was telling earlier in the week how in in discussing this Otani situation with executives, you know, I always ask them, you know, what do you think they're going to do? And then where do you think potentially he could land? And and we've gone through literally the entire standings like no, 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 yes, no. <laughs> and everybody says the same thing you just said about the Orioles. Like, no, Michael Elias is not going to blow up the big picture plan in order to, you know, try to, to fuel this year's team. On the other hand, we do hear about the Rays. And I've had, you know, I wrote this last week, said it a couple weeks ago, that the Rays are a sleeper in this situation, in part because Let's face it, the guy who would make that decision, Artie Moreno, <laughs> people say he's not trading to the Dodgers. He's not going to deliver Otani if he trades him to the Dodgers. He may not trade him to the Rangers, the division rival, the Angels. On the other hand, the Tampa Bay Rays aren't necessarily a direct threat to Artie Moreno's right. kingdom. Uh, and, and it does feel like they need an injection of something. I, the one you know X factor now is after yesterday's game, the injury to Francisco Mejia. Uh, and they're going to need a catcher before the deadline, it looks like. Yeah, good luck, you know, finding a catcher in late July. That's always a tough deal to strike. I'm with you, Otani, perfect fit for them. Their offense the last month or so has, you know, predictably fallen back down to earth after that amazing April and, and May. Their starting rotation has been beaten up by injuries, so they could use Otani there. And like Baltimore, they have one of the best farm systems, so they do have players to trade. And I feel Tampa Bay's a little more willing to to take that jump and that risk in in making Otani deal. Tell me what you think about this, and this is I'm just doing this on the fly. When we look at potential sellers, Omar Narvaez, if the Mets decide to sell. That would be a guy who potentially could be interesting for the Rays, not only for the rest of this year, but he's on a two-year contract maybe for next year. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, he could go, you know, a guy like Tom Murphy, who's, you know, the backup in Seattle, but he's hitting pretty well this year. Um, But, yeah, there's not a lot of other catchers out there, right? You know, I mean, with the Cardinals, they're not going to trade Wilson Contreras, are they? We know they're not. Oh, yeah, they would. (laughs) <laughs> you know okay there you go I mean his contract probably too prohibitive uh, for Tampa Bay but maybe the Cardinals would be willing just to dump that salary you know they're clearly not happy with his defense all right the Seattle Mariners your Seattle Mariners first off uh before I ask you buy or sell question 
Jared Kelnick, what was your reaction to seeing all that yesterday? Yeah, well, I mean, he struck out against a guy throwing 103 miles per hour. So I don't, there's no shame in that. There's a lot of other at bats I think he could have gotten frustrated at this year. But no, look, he was pretty tearful in his apology and owned up to, you know, mis- the mistake breaking his foot, cooking the, kicking the water cooler. Um, what does that mean? It maybe only is, makes it a little more likely that Seattle looks to trade. And how about this, Buster? How about, Logan Gilbert to the Orioles. The Mariners need offense. Orioles need a starter. Gilbert, four more years of team control. He doesn't do Baltimore's plan. So Jerry DePoto was on Seattle radio yesterday, and he said, we need hitters, you know. So there's a good match there, I think, between Baltimore and Seattle. Taylor, what would you think about that? Getting an ace like Logan Gilbert, would you – sort of strip the farm system to make those deals for a guy who's got those years of control. I think so, man. I, I mean, the, there are an abundance of prospects. You know, I was looking at, you know, fake trades being thrown out there. Like if if like three guys could get it done, I, I don't see a problem with that. Even the, the fake Shohei Otani stuff, I would probably do if I were Michael Elias, but that's just me. Yeah, it's the years of control, which maybe, you know, uh, pushes the Orioles mm-hmm. box a little bit in terms of what they may, may or may not do. Um, you know, about the Mariners, I'd say this. I do think they're going to pick up some because they're not, as you know, completely out of it. If they have an opportunity, Dave, to make a trade where they're just taking on money and not giving up that much in the way of prospects, I think they'll do that. And a guy who's an absolute natural fit. I tweeted about this the other day is Mark Hanna, because yeah. it's pretty clear the Mets are going to be open for business. And some of the guys are going to be free agents, potentially. He's one of them, and and you remember when uh, he was a free agent, the Mariners actually made a play for him. What do you think? Yeah, we actually were talking about that right before you jumped on. I, his OBP is three forty one, which actually would be second on the Mariners behind only JP Crawford. So yeah, he's not exactly tearing it up with the Mets, but with Kelnick out, uh, they need an outfielder. They can slot him in at DH if Kelnick's not out too long. Um, so that makes a lot of sense. Remember, they cleared some salary earlier this year when they traded Trevor Gott to to the Mets. Um, so, yeah, they have a little financial flexibility there. All right. I promise rapid fire. Red Sox, buy or sell? Yeah, I think they trade. You know, maybe a Justin Turner is a guy they could they could ship somewhere. Oh, so you're selling if you're the Red Sox. Because I get the feeling they're looking to add sort of around okay. the edges, a guy like Rich Hill. Okay, I mean, yeah, I, I look, they're what, three games? Yeah, they're three games behind the Blue Jays for the last wild card. I just look at that rotation and realistically, I don't know how they're going to do it. You know, so do you look, James Paxton would actually be their, their main guy if they do look to trade. But I get it, you're Boston, you can't, you can't really give up on the season. Well, it's funny because they're basically in the same spot they were last year at the deadline when they traded Christian Vasquez. Yankees... Buy or sell? <laughs> I'm buying. It's you're the New York Yankees. Come on, yes. Buster, you got to go for it. No, no doubt about it. And they have so much pot committed. You know, the stars on that team are right in the middle of their careers. Judge is going to be back soon. I, I agree. I think yep. the Astros are going to be the most aggressive buyer before the deadline. Get a hitter, maybe Cody Bellinger. Get a pitcher, maybe Marcus Stroman. Maybe they uh, put together everything in their farm system to make a deal for those two guys with the Cubs. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they definitely could use another starter. You know, the rotation's really been hit hard with injuries. They've got some good work from some of the fill-ins. But, 
Yeah, Marcus Stroman to Houston would, would really look good. Angels, buy or sell, knowing that they just <laughs> came off this three-game sweep with the Yankees. Well, look, if you're keeping Otani, it's all tied to Otani, and it seems to be that the feeling is they're not going to trade him, so you gotta you got to add, right? Make a couple more deals. All right, and before you go, give me a thought on this year's Hall of Fame class, Fred McGriff. Scott Rowland, it's very interesting because I think Fred McGriff clearly was a guy who was held out of the Hall of Fame in the regular voting by the logjam of steroid era candidates. Yes. And on the other hand, Scott Rowland got in because that whole group was cleared. I think that helped him, uh, you know, usher him into Cooperstown. No, spot on. And I would say this is just a sort of an affirmation of the importance of analytics in evaluating careers, you know, in the pre-war era we wouldn't view Scott Rowland as a Hall of Fame candidate, but when you add up his defense, his base running, his hitting, um, his career war is top 10 among third basemen, and that's a Hall of Famer. And McGriff, I'm with you, underrated. He kind of went from team to team. I think that hurt his legacy. But, uh, you know, look, these guys aren't upper tier Hall of Famers, but they're deserving. All right, Dave. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for suffering through with me. All right, Buster. Enjoy your flight. This is the numbers game with Sarah Langs. Sarah Langs, reporter and producer for MLB.com. You're hearing my voice because Buster had to catch a flight. So it's me and Sarah, a couple noted night owls here. Sarah, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I don't think I've ever done the numbers game with you, so I'm very excited. Hello. This is fun. What time did you go to bed last night? You know, last night wasn't awful mm-hmm. because there was only one late game. So I probably went to bed around two-ish, but games ended around midnight. So that was my own fault. All right. All right. So we were we were on similar wavelengths. And I'm going to blame Sarah Abbott. She's not here to defend herself. But uh, these are these are facts here. She came over to my house with her roommate, hanging out with me, my wife. We're hanging out, having some wine, having some cookies. Next thing we know, it's midnight. And uh, Buster's like, oh, yeah, you should you should do the open tomorrow since I'm in the uh, the airport. So I went to bed at 2.30. And uh, uh. It, do you get comfort out of knowing that there's other people out there that are awake when you're late or is that not something you think about? That's something I like. No, I do appreciate that and uh, our uh, listeners to the show may not know, but obviously there's an email before every show you send out a little rundown. You are the first producer we have had on this show in the time I've been doing it with Buster, which goes back to I think 2016. Mm-hmm. We'll send it on like my timeline, like send it around <laughs> Midnight, 1 a.m. We have had producers, wonderful people, who would send it much earlier. And I'd be like, oh my gosh, are they going to bed? And I'm still here watching games. So I always appreciate knowing that you're still up, keeping track of these games and all of that. I, I can't do the the bit where you, you get up and you watch the condensed games and you pour over. I'm, I'm like you. I mean, I, they got to be in front of my eyeballs. I, no, no, disre- well, maybe a little disrespect to Troy and Josh, but, <laughs> but uh, I. I just can't, I can't do that. It's I feel it feels inauthentic to me, really. Yeah, I mean, you should see me when I was an ESPN researcher full time in 2016, and I was on 
the noon and 11 a.m. sports center, the old coast to coast mm-hmm. with David Law and Carrie Champion. That was a nice uh, 6 a.m. in time, I believe, but I still wanted to stay up to watch every game because I was researching baseball night once a week, which was a night show. And I wanted to watch baseball because that's what I want to do. So I'd be sitting there watching every game and then going to bed way too late and getting Bristol at 6 a.m. So I agree with you. I need to see them live. It is not not ideal to have had those morning shifts way back once. Oof. Look how far you've come, Sarah. Congratulations. I want to throw a baseball question at you. Uh, David Schoenfield was just on the show. He was tossing around this idea. The Mariners, they need some help uh, on the offensive side of the ball, and the Orioles need some pitching. He proposed Logan Gilbert to the Orioles, maybe some prospects. How do you like that idea? I'm interested. I like it. My only thing is, you know, I wonder, we very rarely see trades between two teams that are both in it. And I know the Mariners are not in necessarily as in it as uh, maybe they would want to be at this point in the season. But if you look at where they are in terms of behind the Yankees, you wonder if perhaps they're not ready to fully be those sellers. But if they are, I mean, that'd be great. I know your first place Orioles are definitely going to be looking to load up however they can. And uh, that makes a lot of sense to me. I just wonder if it might come from a team that's a little further throughout a bit. Maybe a Michael Lorenzen, you know, he's been mm. pitching very well lately and seems like a guy who's primed to get traded somewhere. Ooh, I like that, Sarah. All right. That's why you listen to Baseball Tonight podcast here. Some <laughs> nice little uh, trade idea. Let's put it out there into the ether and let's play the numbers game. I'm going to do this awkward thing where I say, let's play the numbers game. And then I say, number three. Number three is 70. So, Speaking of your Orioles, they have now gone 70 straight series, a multiple game, so two plus game series without being swept. That is, as Kevin Brown pointed out on the broadcast the other day, the entire Adley Rushman era. This goes back to May of 2022. And you think, okay, great, 70 series. Kind of hard to contextualize that. So that's why I'm here. And <laughs> they are the eighth team to go at least 70 series without being swept in Major League history. The last team to do this was the 03 to 05 Braves who went 72. It's the second longest streak in franchise history because the 1921 to 23 St. Louis Browns, the prior edition of the Oil, went 72 straight series. So we'll see again if they were to split or even win the one this week and against the Rays that we continue the streak but it's pretty wild. The overall record just for setting your sights is 125 by the Cardinals 1942 to 44. That is a lot of series so we'll see if they can get there. Number two. Number two is 99.8. On Monday I was telling Buster about how Ellie Dela Cruz set this incredible record in the 
97.9 mile an hour assist on Sunday, the best we have seen by an infielder under Sackas. And then yesterday, in a 99.8 mile an hour relay throw to the plate to get one for Flores, that is now the fastest infielder assist we've seen under Sackas. He now occupies number one and two on the list. He's also the second fastest assist by anybody this season behind only Fernando Tetis Jr., now an outfielder with a 100 mile an hour throw earlier in this season. Ellie Delacruz now has four assists at least 95 miles an hour this season, which is the most by any infielder in a single season under Stackhouse. And I feel compelled to mention he has not even been up for two months yet. He debuted in early June. It's July 21st and he is already breaking records and setting his own. Number one. Number one is 10. So I know it's Friday, but I want to go back to Tuesday because we had this wild run scoring environment where 12 teams scored at least 10 runs, which was tied with May 30th, 1884. For the second most teams scoring at least 10 runs on a single day in MLB history behind only July 4th, 1894, when there were 13. There were four games where both teams scored at least 10, which was high for the most on a single day all time. And then the fun kicker is that there have been two days since and nobody has scored 10 runs. So we had all of those 10 run games, 12 teams scoring 10 runs runs and nobody has reached that yet in two days of games since. Wow. All right. I got one more for you, Sarah. On the way out, we've talked enough about the Orioles and the Rays. I know you're going to watch just about every series this weekend, but if you could only watch one this weekend of this batch, which would it be? Would it be Dodgers at Rangers, Braves at Brewers, or Diamondbacks at Reds? I mean, okay. I think it has to be this Orioles-Rays series because that's for first place in at least the Rays had been there all year until entering today when they're finally fully out of first place with the Royals in it. But I mean, I just talked about Ellie Dela Cruz, so I will say him and the Diamondbacks, the Rays Diamondbacks series is also very intriguing. Corbin Carroll had a home run yesterday. He is continuing his push toward rookie there. And then you have Ellie Dela Cruz, who if he had come up on April 1st, would probably be right there in that conversation. Certainly we'll still get both. And those are both teams that are contending. But I mean, I'm looking at you I'm looking at some kind of Orioles hat, I believe, although I can't quite yes. tell. Looks like it. Yeah. And uh, I have to say, Orioles race. All right. Sarah, thanks for doing this. We'll talk to you on Monday. Thanks so much for having me. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes. The clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems, with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, 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 with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. 
For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Todd Radom is the chief executive of our weekly quiz. He's a graphic artist whose work can be seen at ball fields all across America, all around the world, or you can go to his website, toddradom.com. He also has a lifetime contract on this podcast, uh, reaffirmed last week in Seattle. And Todd, uh, look, uh, we, we get to talk about a lot of things off air. And today, the dominant conversation, pets. Because my two dogs were just, they were criminals in the last five hours. You know, my dog, Ruby, who's 13 years old, never poops in the house. I let her outside. She was outside for a while. Then she comes in. She poops. I'm like, what's up with that? And then Quinny, my, you know, year-old dog, came in and, like, tried to break into the into Ruby's dog food, into the bin. And I caught her in the act. And what, what, you know, what's going on? Total mayhem. I don't know, Buster. All I know is I jump onto this Zoom because this is how we record the podcast. And I hear you and Sarah Abbott talking about dogs pooping in hallways and having no shame and this sort of thing. And, you know, it led to a little bit of a conversation before you, you and I just started just now. Uh, I have a cat. We were. What's in the cat's s- name? First the off, cat's, the, the cat's name is Valentine. Okay. Valentine. Bobby? No. <laughs> You're not the first person who has asked me that. No, no, no. Ellis? Is, Maybe no, Ellis Valentine? No, my, my wife, Suzanne, named Valentine for a um, a surrealist artist, Valentine Ugo. <laughs> so, you know, talk about going down even further into wormholes. But we went to Seattle for All-Star, had the neighbor check on the cat, because the cat's, you know, not a young cat, and she has all these routines and all this stuff, just to make sure she's alive and all that. There wasn't going to be any mayhem in the house, unlike your house. And all I know is when we got back, the cat was just meowing loudly at us for days, just expressing the the uh, the, the vitriol about our having gone away for four days. The nerve, the nerve of you humans vacating the house. So, yeah, they have their ways of expressing their displeasure. And sometimes it involves uh, fouling the hallway, evidently, at your house. Well, and uh, there's, you know, through the course of my lifetime, I probably had uh, with my family on the farm, we probably had something in a range of 40 dogs, uh, probably 20 cats. So a lot of experience with both. And it's very interesting because my dogs, like the guilt on their faces when I confronted them is something I'll never see in a cat. You will never see in a cat. Cats have no shame. They have no guilt but they have grievances. Cats constantly have grievances. <laughs> Buster, I'm thinking of that George Carlin routine about cats versus dogs and dogs, you know, dog cats, you know, look at you. And, you know, he went off into an extended tirade about that. And anybody listening is going to know what I'm talking about. But he also said dogs have eyebrows and they can express themselves in ways that cats cannot. So, <laughs> yeah, it's all true. All of those stereotypes, cats and dogs, all these things. Maybe you maybe we need to do a segment with players on pets. You know, we see this on social media, right? MLB players who are famously cat daddies or dog people. It's that a whole thing. Fun. Yes. That, that, 
You know what? That would that would absolutely be fun. Uh, you know, to share experiences, that's for sure. You know, co- find common ground. Well, I know Mike, you know, I visited Mike Trout when we did the E60 on him and his family is a big dog family. So to have a conversation with him about dogs, that would be a lot of fun. All right, let's get to this week's Forgotten Field. So, Buster, this stadium served as the first home of the Washington Nationals and as the last home of the Washington Senators. It was the first true multi-use modular stadium created to house both pro baseball and pro football, and its design set the tone for a generation of circular, cookie-cutter facilities to come. Located at the easternmost terminal of East Capitol Street, near the banks of the Anacostia River, RFK Stadium, originally called District of Columbia or D.C. Stadium, didn't witness a whole lot of important baseball history, but its 13 seasons as a major league ballpark did include all-star games in 1962 and 1969. The Nationals enjoyed a slight home field advantage there, going 122 and 121 over their three seasons at RFK. RFK Stadium offered up an elevated level of luxury when it opened in 1961. Its 50,000 seats were 20 to 22 inches wide, compared to the typical ballpark seat of the era, which was 15 or 16 inches wide. A machine-operated tarp could cover the field in 30 seconds, and dugouts and locker rooms were air-conditioned. It featured the world's longest and most modern scoreboard at that time, a $400,000 wonder that measured an immense 375 feet by 35 feet. The lower stands were portable, rotating on a series of ball-bearing wheels that converted the setup from baseball to football and back. The stadium was touted for its comfort and convenience and for its unobstructed views, unhindered by old-fashioned support columns and girders. All of this luxury cost money buster. An accelerated construction schedule of 15 months resulted in massive cost overruns. 15 months! The, The overruns were more than three times the original estimates. Padding of uh, construction budgets in the nation's capital, go figure. RFK Stadium's signature visual element was its roof line, an undulating cantilevered canopy, which some likened to a wet straw hat or a waffle whose center had stuck to the waffle iron. Traditional vertical light towers were not allowed there due to the venue's location. In direct sight line with the Washington Monument and the U.S. Capitol, Jefferson and Lincoln Memorials. Instead, a series of horizontal light banks were affixed directly onto the curved roof. The first MLB game at RFK took place on April 9th, 1962. The Senators defeated the Detroit Tigers 4-1. 44,383 fans were in attendance that day, including President John F. Kennedy, who threw threw out the ceremonial first pitch. I'm leaving you in first place, he quipped to Senators GM Ed Doherty as he departed the presidential (laughs) box. (laughs) And that didn't last long. Seven years later, the ballpark was named in honor of his brother, the late Senator Robert F. Kennedy. The Senators left town after the 1971 season, but their final game there on September 30th, 1971, was both memorable and scary. With two outs in the top of the ninth inning and the home team leading the Yankees 7-5, hundreds, if not thousands of fans overran the field. They tore up whatever they could get their hands on, bases, seats, and pieces of the scoreboard. The game was forfeited and RFK remained an MLB desert for the next 33 years. The stadium received $18.5 million in renovations when the Nationals arrived. Their first home game took place on April 14, 2005. 
I was there in section 115, row A, seat seven, President George W. Bush threw out the first pitch. The Nats beat Arizona and baseball was back in the district. The stadium has festered in place in the years since it closed, a dilapidated heap held up by rusty beams. The paint has slowly peeled away in sheets and the miles of abandoned parking lots have become overrun by weeds. The future of the 190-acre space is uncertain, but demolition crews were called out last fall shortly after a series of fires broke out there. It's all scheduled to come down before the end of this year. Wow. So if you find yourself in the vicinity of 2400 East Capitol Street Northeast, go have a look at the faded glory that was RFK Stadium, which is this week's Forgotten Field. That's awesome. Uh, I did not know that that uh, the demolition is scheduled for this year. I can't help but think of that park and think of uh, stories from Charlie Manuel. You'll appreciate this because you Red Sox fan uh, and uh, you you know the, the legend of Ted Williams. And I may have told you this story before, but it's worth telling again. Uh, Charlie Manuel telling me that as a young player, you know, he's taking batting practice under the guise of Ted Williams serving as a hitting coach. And Ted Williams is giving them instruction. It's on a really windy day at RFK and he can't get the ball out to the outfield fence. Like it's, it's just the sort of wind you just can't do anything with. And Ted Williams, who by this time is about 50 years old, had a gut, uh, is just getting more and more frustrated with he and another young player and just going, oh, come on, you do it this way. And he got into the batting cage and he's just launching balls into the stands, cutting through the wind at 50 years old. And Charlie said to me, boy, if I didn't feel bad about myself before that started, I certainly did at the end. <laughs> <laughs> cutting through the wind and dropping F-bombs at the same time. Right, Launching exactly. bombs and launching F-bombs, right? Yeah, Boston? you just hit it here, 450 feet away. What, you know, what's the problem? What, no what, big deal. What's the deal? <laughs> <laughs> and Ted Williams, of course, who managed the, the, the Washington Senators and moved to Texas with them, man, yep. first manager of the Texas Rangers in 1972. Those weird pictures of Ted Williams in a Texas Rangers uniform just seem so strange all these years I know. later. Right, Joe Namath in a, in a Rams uniform, that's for sure, when you look back at the pictures. Totally. Uh, all right. Let's get to this week's quiz. All right, here we go. Week 20. The elephant mascot of the Oakland A's is named Stomper, but the team had a previous elephant mascot, which was introduced in 1990. What was its name? Was it A, Harry Elefante? Was it B, Reggie? Was it C, Big Hank? Or was it D, Tony Tusker? The first Oakland Athletics mascot introduced in 1990, discontinued in favor of Stomper. What was its name? Harry Elefante, Reggie, Big Hank, or Tony Tusker? Wow. Um, so we know that Taylor, who is not with us on our taping today, has locked in his vote. That would be D, right? Yes. Hmm. All right, Sarah, what, uh, which one are you going with? I'm torn between B and C. So I think I'm going to go C. Wow. Uh, see, I, I'm I'm trying to figure this out. First off, I, I mean, Reggie, I just don't imagine that that would be something that would happen like during, you know, Reggie Jackson's tenure with the with the athletics. I can't imagine Charlie Finley would do that without creating some sort of a stir. And we would have all remembered that. So well, this was introduced Reggie. in 1990, Buster. Oh, in 1990. OK. Yes. Oh, man. 
So okay. now I feel like the answer is Reggie. <laughs> oh, Sarah, go ahead with Reggie. No, no Reggie I'm saying locked in at sea. I'm saying locked in at sea. Okay. Okay. And Tony the Tusker, of course, would be a little bit of a alliteration playoff of Tony the Tiger. And so that one potentially could, uh, you know what? I'll go Reggie. We'll, we'll have three different answers. I'll go Reggie. Sarah's going with C and Taylor's going with D. You're all wrong because it was Harry Elefante. (laughs) (laughs) I guess I should have gotten a Bay Area connection, right? Well, I don't know. I mean, Tony Tusker could have been Tony La Russa, too. I threw that in there. I didn't think about that. Oh, Oh. man, we're all losers. (laughs) It's the most ridiculous one there. Just go when whenever we have a mascot question, just go most ridiculous. And that's the winner. I'm telling you right now. (laughs) <laughs> i'm keeping that All locked right. in exactly all right todd thanks for doing this always great to talk with you thank you so much guys bleacher tweets Alrighty, buster bleacher tweets for a friday andrew campbell at real camp drew writes and hey busters matt olson the best player in baseball that hardly anyone is talking about right now yeah hardly is the way to go my son has been talking about him before the season started he predicted he would win the National League MVP. I picked Ronald Acuna Jr. Uh, Matt Olson has been playing great. And it looks like he's the guy who's going to challenge Otani for the Major League leading home runs. Two run, home run game last night. Zach Beeson at Zach Beeson 22 writes in on the last podcast while speaking with Alvin. You said Artie Moreno it was impetuous and cited the contracts of Albert Pujols and Josh Hamilton. Can we put Anthony Rendon on that list too? No doubt about it. Because uh, there were concerns. It was interesting. You talked to executives of other teams. When Rendon was a free agent, they were like, uh, we don't know if he's going to age well. And <laughs> I, I think that was a general sentiment around the sport. It was kind of like Chris Bryant. You know, mm-hmm. when the Rockies gave Chris Bryant all that money, people around the sport were like, what are they doing? And Rendon's contract has a chance to go down in history as one of the worst ever for a position player. He's a grumpy dude, too, so he doesn't really help his case. Uh, Gregory Gosnell at Carl's Jr. 9982 writes into the Yankees, except this year as moderate sellers like 2016. Realistically, with all the major league salaries on the team, could they do anything to offload? No one will take Stan Rizzo, DJ Montas, 72 million combined this year. Oof. Yeah, I, I don't really see the point in that. Like now, or I, I don't think it's appropriate when you have all those guys. First off, you know, we know that they're a completely different team with judges in the lineup. And mm-hmm. so I think you got to at least see what he looks like, what they look like. Um, and maybe they get him back by the end of the month. But when you have all your star players in the middle of their careers, Taylor, I, I think you have to ride it out. They're in such an interesting spot because like riding it out is vying for, you know, a wild card spot, maybe even the last wild card spot. And, you know, you know how Yankees fans are like championship or bust. So they're in this really weird gray zone. I think they're probably going to forge ahead. Well, I mean, it's interesting and you're right. uh, But we've also seen the last two years with the Braves and the Phillies. You know, you get into the wild card spot, you you got a shot. It's true. And I, uh, you know, so and it really comes down to the question of whether or not they have a chance to win the World Series. And I mentioned to you, if they actually get to the postseason because of the dominance of their bullpen, they could potentially be a really interesting team if Judge is a productive player. Be good to each other, writes in. Of the Padres, Yankees, and Mets, how many of those three will make the postseason feeling more and more like it would be zero? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I, I do feel like the Mets are closer, much closer than the Padres or the Yankees to uh, – 
you know, to basically deciding, look, we're, we're not counting on this year. We're going to start to focus on 2024. The deals that they make, well, they'll have that in mind. Uh, by the way, those three teams, their combined payroll, something in the range of $900 million. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. Crazy. Uh, Slate at Slate 2130 writes in, since Andrew Abbott has debuted for the Reds, he's put up Cy Young potential numbers. He doesn't seem to have any overpowering stuff, and he reminds me of a 90s pitcher. What are scouts and players saying about him? That makes him so good right now. Yeah, they love him. Uh, you know, you're right about that. He kind of reminds me of uh, Tom Glavin, like a young Tom Glavin in the way that he can mix and match and goes around. the. It's not like, as you say, he's not like he's blowing away hitters. So, Taylor, you can do the close today since you did the open. All right, Buster. That's all for today. My thanks to Dave, Sarah, Todd, Bruce, Sarah, Buster. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. We'll be back on Monday. And remember, hate and inequality is something we need to fight against every single day. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply.